from India's largest newsroom I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast My first question is do you think after Madhya Pradesh Rajasthan and Chhattisgarh a third term for Modi is done and dusted that is the general wisdom currently but as you know in politics nothing can be taken for granted uh, i am sure the bjp itself will not take it for granted though obviously they would feel happy and it is true that they have an advantage right now that's my colleague alka dhupkar in conversation with dr suhas palchikar professor palchikar has been a guest on this show before and is one of the foremost voices on indian politics having studied it for decades He's co-director of election research organization Lokniti and is the chief editor of Studies in Indian Politics. In today's episode, we're speaking with Professor Palchikar about what the election result from four states says about the national elections next year. We're looking at whether a subject like the caste census is dead and what the India Alliance has got wrong so far. Professor Palchikar also explains the BJP's victories and what they say both about Narendra Modi and the future of the party. So can the Congress and opposition pick itself up before 2024 or is there too little time? It is getting too late, particularly for the Congress. Uh, they should have, in the last six months, uh, tried their best, not only in these states, but elsewhere also, to uh, rejuvenate their organization. Now, I think with only four or five months left for the next Lok Sabha election, the best these parties can do is to quickly come together uh, agree on some kind of a uh, program not ideology not common manifesto but at least some program and then start sharing the seats wherever they have uh, sort of a competitive common ground that is what they need to start working on the two congress governments that have lost were said to be on top of the game as far as welfare schemes go yes. uh, do we view their losses as proof that just welfare schemes aren't enough and uh, what does it say about political strategy of congress party you know a lot of a uh, lot of criticism is being made about the so called freebies as they are said the welfare schemes uh, as a matter of fact i think that they are necessary in one way or the other what happens however is that when you have a national leader uh, who is already holding power promising equally attractive welfare schemes the ones that the state government has already implemented or uh, promised uh, might not hold much attraction for the voters my suspicion is that that is what has happened in these elections in spite of gehlot government and baghel government giving uh, many welfare schemes and promises people might have been attracted by the larger phenomenon of a welfare scheme run by the bjp jairam ramesh the congress leader tweeted that exactly 20 years ago the congress had lost the state yes. elections in chatisgarh madhya pradesh rajasthan but within a few months the party bounced back and went on to emerge as the single largest party in the general poll do you see anything similar happening this time yes i have seen that tweet and uh, it is definitely a very encouraging tweet for party workers uh, 
party leaders have to perform many tasks and one of them is to keep the enthusiasm of the party workers intact the congress would say and i think there is a element of truth in it that don't take it for granted we are still there to fight it out it is also possible to argue that this time state level elections have taken place where the state governments were voted out uh, in mizoram in telangana rajasthan and chatisgarh in fact madhya pradesh is the only exception otherwise uh, removal of the incumbent government seems to be the pattern and therefore you can make various arguments the real issue is what kind of politics the opposition engages in uh, so the tweet i would say is not entirely misplaced although it obviously goes back to the nostalgia of a bygone era it would not be so easy for the congress to repeat that this time and that is why the congress will have to really uh, turn heaven and earth together in order to be in the reckoning in this election the bjp has a dominant presence in the north now which also further highlights the north south divide but looking at vote share congress supporters still believe that there is a hope in the north and at least some of these states including gujarat for that matter though not in uttar pradesh uh, there is a straight fight between the congress and the bjp and therefore the real critical question is what is the distance between the two main contestants on the side of the congress it can be argued that look at chatisgarh or rajasthan the distance is not too much in a sense therefore the congress can still make it and fight when it comes to lok sabha remember that these states that we are talking about have 82 seats to the lok sabha and currently uh, bjp controls 65 so the task for the congress is really cut out it has at least to reduce this huge seat gap between itself and the bjp in terms of vote shares it looks very attractive the question in a parliamentary system however is how does your vote share get translated or converted into seats for that to happen you have to get adequate votes in lok sabha constituency level regions only that when that happens you win the seat otherwise you pick up votes your vote share looks 40% and you end up not getting much seats so i would say that the argument is not really about vote share the argument is about the ability to convert that vote share into seats so the challenge in the north is twofold one where there is a straight fight the congress will have to actually pick up seats but then there are states like uttar pradesh where the congress is not a player and that is where really the india coalition comes into the picture and it has to perform much better on the cusp of east and north we have bihar and in bihar also congress is not a major player so even there it is the india coalition that will have to function better so i wanted to ask about this north south divide what does this mean for politics in india when one portion of the country votes very differently from another if one looks at merely the electoral part of this electorally historically even in the times of the janasang Uh, the bjp and then the janasang had good traction in madhya pradesh 
Gujarat, Rajasthan. Also don't forget that in Uttar Pradesh, while Jalasang had a good network, RSS had even a better network extending even to Congress workers. Many Congress workers in the 1950s and early 1960s uh, were sympathizers of the RSS. In other words, electorally, there was a base already in existence in these parts. That is where the Janasang started picking up votes. And subsequently, when the Ram Janmabhumi agitation kicked off, it is this region where it became extremely popular and evocative. So all these votes that we see today were garnered during 1990s. Today's BJP is actually standing on the shoulders of that agitation and accretion of votes. In contrast, in South, historically, the Janasang and RSS never had that traction. In Kerala and in Tamil Nadu today, there are RSS shakhas, no doubt, but they have not been able to expand, nor have they been able to translate that into votes. That is the historical limitation. Uh, the other historical limitation is the winning over of the OBCs of Central and North India, which has not happened in South, and that has sort of kept the BJP in check in South. So that is the meaning of this divide. Let us not put much more meaning to it at the moment. This set of losses raises questions about the India opposition bloc alliance ahead of the 2024 elections. How do you view these groupings working so far and what does it say about what we can expect from it? You know, it is really very interesting to see that the India coalition formed itself quickly, looked like they are moving on smoothly, and then suddenly they went quiet. It must be many internal hiccups which have kept them quiet so long, as a result of which, as an ordinary person, one would wonder whether the India coalition exists or not. Secondly, when these elections came, even as a token, the Congress party did not include the other partners either in the campaign or in their seat sharing formula. And as a result of that, there must have been internal bickering in the India coalition. Now the task before the India coalition therefore would be to reconvene and rebuild itself. By the time uh, this discussion gets uh, publicized, the meeting might have taken place of the India coalition because the Congress president has taken an initiative. But my suspicion is that there was a hibernation which was inexplicable. Uh, when you know that elections are going to take place next April, May, you can't go in hibernation suddenly as a coalition. And the most important limitation is that they don't have any programmatic cohesion at the moment. We're back in conversation with Professor Suhas Palshikar about how to view the upcoming 2024 elections in light of the five state poll results. Alka and I asked Professor Palshikar about the BJP's victory in the three states and whether the party can bank on women's votes in these states. We also discussed the BJP's reliance on Narendra Modi and how Professor Palshikar views politics beyond 2024 if the BJP does indeed win. Where did these extra votes come from for the BJP? If these are women voters, will it help BJP in 2024? 
That is really an interesting question and it would take time to decipher as to from where these additional votes came. Uh, my initial hunch is that in a couple of states, these additional votes might have come, Rajasthan for example, uh, from women votes. Because it seems that at least in Rajasthan and Chhattisgarh, women seem to be a little more supportive of the BJP. But that is not an all India pattern and therefore BJP cannot rely upon that. Uh, as far as I know about Rajasthan, I can say that the additional votes have actually come in Rajasthan from the upper castes. Uh, BJP might not like saying this, but actually a huge increase in the upper caste vote share in Rajasthan has helped the BJP overcome the Gehrot challenge by a slender margin. So it varies from state to state. Let us not forget that while we talk of an all India politics, each state will have its own social dynamics resulting into the victory of a party or a candidate. How do you view the argument that the BJP's victory is won for Hindutva politics? I for one would argue that if one wants to make a general sense of what has happened in these four states and three states particularly that BJP won, it is this new package that the BJP has been building over last 10 years where Hindutva includes nationalism, Hindutva includes masochism, Hindutva includes spiritualism, religiosity. A new package is built. This package is far different from the package built originally by Bajpayee following Barsep Devras, the chief of the RSS. It is this transformation of the Hindutva package that has helped the BJP. Therefore, today, when Modi goes to a rally, when Amit Shah goes to a rally, they might not speak Hindutva and yet they would represent that sentiment which is resonating in these parts of the country. As a result of which, even governments that were relatively better managing in Rajasthan and Chhattisgarh lost. Governments which were not really better managing, like in Madhya Pradesh, got third term, fourth term in fact. And in the sense, therefore, other factors become less important or of secondary importance. And this identification with Hindutva becomes a critical factor in the armory of the BJP. The caste census which has been tom-tommed by the Congress in every state. It's a major poll issue, at least until the state polls happen. The state results are now being viewed as a sort of referendum against the caste census. How do you see that playing out in this poll campaign? No, I think I think on the caste census thing, uh, the jury is still out in the sense that whether it would be an evocative enough issue or not will be determined in the future. Even today, I guess and maybe data would be coming out soon, that Congress did not do very badly among the OBCs. It might not have gained enormously. So there was no dramatic shift. True. But quietly, I think this churning might have started happening. The trouble with the Congress, however, is that its leadership, except Mr. Kharge, who doesn't come from the upper castes, is still not identified with the backward classes and particularly the OBCs. It doesn't go just one-way traffic by making an announcement that we want to do a caste census. You also need to have 
good leaders coming from OBC backgrounds, Congress lacks in that. The second point is that the BJP still is fumbling on this issue. And as long as the BJP fumbles, I think the India coalition would have a better chance of consolidating among the OBCs on the question of caste census and also generally on the question of how to handle the issue of new aspirations of various backward communities. So that issue is alive. Uh, in politics, issues become relevant only when you have good politics. And I think so far, making the demand for caste census was the first step that the Congress took. Now they will have to follow it up by projecting leaders from the OBCs. If they don't do that, then it would reveal cosmetic. You spoke of this sort of all-encompassing Hindutva. Um, do you believe that that is an effective counter to this demand? At least for now, that seems to be the BJP strategy. That rather than talking of OBCs as a block, because OBCs consolidating themselves can become a problem for every party, of course, but for the BJP in particular. Therefore, the BJP handles this question by, as you said, addressing individual castes, including them in the Hindutva fold, and at the same time, giving them assurances of both a religious uplift and a material uplift. That is what they are trying to do. And it would be a great, uh, let's say, confrontation if this continues in the next few months to see how this pans out. Uh, single caste mobilizations versus building of a caste block. That would be the great confrontation that we might witness. Uh, that confrontation will have the additional factor of Hindutva as far as the BJP is concerned. And therefore, it is going to be a very tough and fascinating kind of a struggle for the vote of the OBCs. You have pointed in a column to Narendra Modi as a symbol of the BJP, where he is the chief campaigner in every state. This time as well, the party fought with no same faces in three states that it won. What does it mean for the BJP to be this dependent on the on one leader, whether nationally or in states? So far, it has been going very good for them. They would be happy. Organizationally, it is a problem. It is a problem because then how do you negotiate with state level leaders? In the long run, with this victory, it was really anybody's guess what would be Shivraj Singh Chauhan saying. Because he was sidelining the campaign. Now he would say, look, I was the chief minister and therefore this victory is mine as much as yours. Now, this might not come out in the open. Mr. Chauhan might choose to remain rather quiet and get whatever fruits of this victory he can reap. But this is a long-term problem for the BJP. On the one hand, depending only on one leader makes the party vulnerable. But on the other hand, in the long run, it also breeds internal dissensions which are invisible today. You've seen multiple elections over multiple decades now. How do you view this 2024 national election? You know, it's not merely a question of having seen so many elections, etc. Uh, 
one can come across various types of elections and this 2024 election right at the moment seems to be just a routine election where you have a single dominant party system that has set in and once that has set in it is only a question of how much of ground it cedes to the opposition or how much new ground it captures that is the question in 2024 i don't expect 2024 at the moment to be any more dramatic than that uh, but of course uh, dramatic elections have always proved to be dramatic in retrospect so <laughs> one one cannot be too sure but 2024 in the sense will be an election where modi's popularity would be on a in a plateau the bjp's popularity and capacity to win elections would be in a sense a given and the question would be whether it would be 250 or 300 again or it crosses 320 that is the spectrum that one would be looking at today as i said at the beginning also these are all expectations and projections that we are making today and within a couple of months politics definitely can change because you don't expect other political players to sit quietly and if 2024 is that sort of election where you say it looks like a routine election how do we look at beyond 2024 in that sense oh that's a lo- longer question because beyond 2024 then uh, if the bjp survives 2024 in a handsome manner uh, it would be just to uh, a his- repeat of history uh, where the dominant party continues for two decades and the moment it has continued for two decades many new contradictions start emerging which i am sure we cannot project or predict at the moment uh societies not just indian any society always societies sit on contradictions and the job of politics is either to resolve those contradictions or bypass those contradictions our politics currently has been in fact igniting those contradictions and therefore it is extremely difficult to project what kind of india it would be let's say in 2030 or beyond 2030 that's a tough question for me Today's episode was produced by Jairad Singh and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at typodcast@timesinternet.in.